Let's, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. As always, we'd ask that we would learn the godliness that is expected of us. Learning of you and learning of your world. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're at the end of Ecclesiastes because that's what I was thinking about when I woke up 62 years old this morning and sat in the tub. I said, yesterday I was a fine figure of a man, but now I'm just old. And then Ecclesiastes, right at the end of chapter 12, has got this great poetic description of getting old. And it's been, I haven't preached in, on this for 15 years. I think it was 2001, so long ago. We've done Bible studies on it, but. But it's one of the places I've enjoyed going to as I have aged, and uh, it is true, yea, verily. What it describes in truth happens. We have a young person's church here. There's a few of us gray people, James and I, the Nicholases, the elder Nicholases. Ah, uh, how close, Lydia? There's a few gray-haired people here, just a few. The rest of you, happening young people. This sermon is really for, not just, it's not to hear old, doddering people talk about the, the criminal element of getting old. It's to warn the young people. Speaking back across the void. Those years that you can't imagine living. Yes, they get lived. Yes, they go by quickly. And all of a sudden, you can't get out of a chair. Because it's really hard to get out of chairs. Now, if the, this section begins back in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. Light is sweet. Both those words, the word sweet and the word pleasant. Not light illuminates things. I can see stuff by light. No, light is sweet and pleasant. And as I read that passage, because I know where it's going... I was thinking of chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes, here on the left-hand side. Ecclesiastes 1.8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Who is the same guy wrote this book? One end to the other? Light is sweet. It's pleasant to behold the sun. At the same time, what a pointless task. Do you ever think about what your eyes do? Have you ever have, a, you have an iPhone? Some of you really, really, really cool kids. Or some other phone that takes photos of things. And my gosh, the resolution's almost pretty good. Almost. You can blow it up pretty big. Your eye takes that much information in, multiplies it by some number, and that's the amount of reality it pulls in, and it prints it on your brain, 
and then flushes it out the other side. And it gives you a kind of a vague, doesn't give you a photograph, gives you a vague memory of what just happened. You have a vague memory of what those donuts looked like downstairs a few minutes ago. They're not there anymore to go look at. You don't really keep any photos, but your brain and I process far more information than you can, and it's throwing it away when you're done. Because you can't keep it. It's all vain. What weariness is this? When you realize what happens to the vision you have, not just that you get bad eyesight and you know, struggle with uh, those sorts of things, but that good, good eyesight, you can't keep anything you saw. That's kind of a criminal act in the creation. You can't keep anything. That's why we invented cameras. You couldn't keep anything you saw. You had to flush it out the other side. How weary is that? Well, for somebody else, somebody else who's not trying to hang on to some sort of utility to life, they look at light and go, this is really, really cool. Look what I'm seeing. Look what I'm encountering. Sweet things, pleasant things. For if a man lives, verse 8, many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So it tells us, it tells us that you're, you have a different kind of debt than the modern man thinks of collecting. Well, probably ancient man too, since Solomon's an ancient man. And he's reminding some of them, the kings of his age, who thought they were accomplishing something. That really it comes down to whether or not you... You, did you take in what God just gave you? Did you enjoy that? Because you can't keep it. Every breath you take is lost to you. Every moment you share with your family. And some people get depressed about that as the moments go past and, and mothers watch their little toddler become a little sinner. And they go, oh, I miss the days when I could carry them all sorts of and dress them up like an idiot. Which is, which is immoral, by the way. You should never dress a child to look like anything other than a small adult. Because otherwise you just play it. Dolls. We, we don't like losing what goes by us. Our time with our friends, and then the vacation is over, and you have to drive home, or, or whatever else it is. And the, the, Solomon is telling you that you have a responsibility to it to rejoice in them all. To take in the sweetness of light, take in the pleasance of light, quit worrying yourself over whether or not you made any utility out of light. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your mind, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. There's vanity coming. The days of darkness, which is, I think, talking about death, you being dead, 
in Sheol, Hades, whatever you want to call it. And in case you were thinking that this life before you get to death wasn't vain, it's vanity too. The youth and dawn of life are vanity. But the advice is remove vexation from your mind. Put away pain from your body. Recognize the sweetness of light. Recognize the pleasantness of light. Rejoice in all of your days. Standing in the midst of an absolutely futile existence that none of which you can truly grab hold of. Because even the photos you keep are only valuable if you look at them and then you only see them again and they get flushed out your mind. And nothing is archival. I worked in photography for the US Navy for four years and you don't have truly archival materials. You can't preserve anything forever. It will last longer than you. You will be dead before the photo's gone, but it will be gone. Because you know the photos you took, put in the album, mom, dad, flip it through. You'll notice after about 20 years, I look at a little, the color is not quite really good anymore. And it's not just because the color is dated, it's because it's going away. Merry Christmas. Because that's all that's going to happen to it. And really, the 12 people, you will arrange that photo album, and we have a number of these, you'll arrange that photo album, it will be looked at Oh, I think seven times after maybe 300 hours put into it it will be looked at seven times and every one of the people who look at the photos will flush them out of their mind completely within a nanosecond. And again, Merry Christmas. Or is it Halloween that's coming? Happy Halloween. Know what you're doing. Now, the reason I read that one in, that verse in Ecclesiastes 1, oh, what weariness this is, is I want to make sure that you don't think when you're advised to enjoy the sight of your eyes and the youth and the dawn of life, remove vexation and pain from your life, have a good time. One, I don't want you thinking that this is one of those kind of cults that show me a prophet who will prophesy beer and strong drink and I'll show you a prophet for this people. It, that's not the kind of thing we're wanting to, to suggest. That we're Epicureans. But I'm also not suggesting that by the end of the book Solomon gets it right. He didn't have it right at the beginning of the book. He gets it right by the end and he really found out everything really is valuable. Okay, value, yes, but value in its impermanence and in its momentariness, not in its permanence. And when it lays the task, we don't realize this because we're, you know, descendants of Protestants and then Puritans and, and generally what's the adage of they're afraid that somebody somewhere is having a good time. We suspect good times because good times is what they say about Baptists. They don't want people to have premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. They don't want people to have a good time. Sin and good times are close aligned. And here is the Bible saying, 
cheer, let your heart cheer you. Ways of your walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, because light is sweet and pleasant, and and remove vexation and pain. Rejoice in all your days. I want you to take that up as a task. And then you want to realize, especially you young people, you don't have a clue how to do it. As a young person, you think joy, pleasure, having a good time, oh, you'll know. In about 10 years, you'll look back and say, you're hoping no pictures were taken of that. You're hoping that no one will see you having that good time. Because it wasn't. Now, why wasn't it? It was pleasure. It was a rave. It was, it was dancing with those little glow sticks in your hands. Ecclesiastes 2.24 here on the left hand side. There's nothing better for a man than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and heaping, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Don't try to escape the vanity. I, I was trying to come up with a saying this morning, in, in vanitas veritas. If that's a real sentence, is that London? How's that do? It doesn't quite... Not quite right, but all right. Like they say, in vino veritas, in wine, truth. In vanity, truth. Keep the vanity. Keep your realization that all of this is pointless. And it's been given to you to enjoy. It's permanence you have to sacrifice. The miracle that is your eye is sacrificing everything it sees, and it's seeing a miracle every second. So what are you doing with the miracle that you're seeing every second? The hearing, you're hearing every. Do you know what language is? Just the, I think Tom Wolfe just put out a book on speech. I haven't read it, my dad was reading it. He said it was pretty good. On just the amazing nature of what speech is. We're making barking noises into the air, and you've got these little flaps on the side of your heads that just pulls in those vibrations I made in the air. And you went, uh-huh. A little miracle went on, and you went, uh-huh. Because you little had flaps collecting air vibrations. And I was going, rah, 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 rah. And it meant something to you. Let alone the sight. Without God, without pleasing God, you don't have wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And that's why you look better as you get older and you become wiser and more knowledgeable. Then you look back at your joys as a young person and go, I was a complete fool. It becomes the work of, you know, striving, working, heaping, gathering. You don't know how to enjoy this life. Solomon is saying to you, as young people, enjoy this life. It is really impermanent. So your task to enjoy is then informed by this information he had already covered in the book that said, please God, for apart from him who can have joy. Now, 
There are certain things that you, I remind you here on the left hand side to remember about life. Remember the vanity. Know the vanity. Know the judgment. Know the desires. Most Christians, or many Christian ministries, will not know anything about the vanity. So when desire shows up, that promises all sorts of things to them, they want to crush the desire because the desire can't be understood competitively. If you think, you know, basically what we're recommending this morning is that Christians ought to know, because of the way they think, how to run the things of this world, the enjoyments of this world, the best possible way. That this is why, sort of, I've recommended existentialism of a Christian variety for a while now, because I think we're better at it than anybody else. We know how to take the moment, enjoy the moment, the best that it can be enjoyed, because we have the God who made the moment, the God who made all the stuff in the moment, the God who made you and every understanding that you are seeking. You are trying to please him. And so instead of running away from the desires, you look at the non-believer and go, you complete fool. Just the work of heaping and gathering. How many beer cans can you stack in a pyramid in your window? Because that's a skill that I want to graduate from college with. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. He's, he's carrying on here. He's saying, okay, this is the task. Light's sweet. Uh, oh, it flushes out and you can't keep any of it. There's a pleasure in it going by. But also, remember your creator. Because part of the problem with uh, getting old, besides the obvious glory you see manifest before you, is it you're a Christian, you believe God made this. And there are some people who go, um, seems like a, a flaw in the system. Why, why are we all... And you got some theological reason. Well, we have to die because of sin. But whatever the case, whatever your theology of why you die and why you age, maybe you'd be fine with death if you always, had to, you, if you always went out in a gunfight. That you stayed like a young man or a beautiful young woman until at 120 you got into a raging fight in a bar and got shot. That's how you died. Everybody died that way. Nobody died of cancer and walking around with a walker. I take care of my dad and get him around. He's got a walker and a wheelchair. And, and, uh, and people are I, yeah, I, I'm fine with dying, but I'm not fine with that. Oh, give me a cardiac arrest at 55. Remember also your creator of the days of your youth. Remember him as creator. Remember he made you. And so what is happening, people don't know why we die when we do, why we age. The whole idea of, I was reading the Encyclopedia Britannica many years ago and said, we don't know why we die when we die. Some people, there's theories of wear and tear, there's theory of genetics, there's theories of different things that they really don't know. And they said there was no reason why a human being couldn't physically live a thousand years. This is the Encyclopedia Britannica. 
So here we are, 62. I, I look like a, I look much younger. I know it's because of the fat. I told him this slide, the fat fills in the cracks. And I look much less wrinkled than other healthy people. The guys that were out there running for like two decades, keeping their body lean, and they look in the mirror and it looks like Tutankhamun after about two millennia in the grave because they're all of their, they have no body fat. They asked for that. Good for them. I have found the secret of eternal youth. It's called French fries. <laughs> know that these things are coming before the evil days come and the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. This is, this is wonderful poetry. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut. It probably means <clears throat> gastrointestinal. In other words, constipation. In case you're missing it, in case you maybe you major in engineering or something, so you have you know no soul. These are talking about elements of growing old. The keepers of the house tremble. So your legs, grinders cease. That's an obvious one. Your teeth fall out. It's like God is adding insult to your injuries. And those who look through the windows are dim. So you don't see as well. And the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the voice of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. Have you ever been in a conversation, some of you older people, and you go, what, what, did, you, what, what did you say? Anything you want to know, you can't, you can't know that nobody speaks clearly anymore. But boy, the slightest, slightest noise of the inconvenient nature that you did not want to hear wakes you up in the morning. We were on the front porch, and it's been a basic brawl between the young people and the old people. Because I have a heater, one of those gas uh, Costco heaters, stands on the porch. Turned on full blast, from what I'm told by the young people, there is this screeching dog whistle noise that only, we'll just say, the young dogs can hear. And it irritates the living heck out of them. They can't just go, I'll be at peace. They have to turn the heater down so it's not making that noise. Well, none of the old people can hear it. Ooh, the thing turned back up again because we're a little cold. We're getting a little getting nippy out here. So they're screaming about us not hearing it. And Daniel Patchen had a, uh, an app on his phone which could put out the song at different, what are they called, hertz? Hertzes, and you could tell whether you could hear at a certain level or not. Well, of course, we all flunked. The old people flunked. They are afraid also of what is high. 
You saw Hillary Clinton trying to get up a flight of stairs. Why are you terrified? Well, because falling down is kind of like a habit. They break their hips. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. Anybody know what that refers to? I have no idea. Does the almond tree only blossom at the end of a lot of years or something like that? I have to look that up. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. The grasshopper drags itself along and woe, desire fails. At the end of David's life, he couldn't get warm, King David. So they got him another wife, Abishag the Shulamite, who was just there to keep him warm. He was too old to accomplish anything, we'll just say, fun. She was just there to keep him warm. Desire fails because man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Happy birthday. Oh, it's a brilliant, brilliant section. And he says, remember the creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, because they're coming to you. You'd think we'd be used to this, 6,000 years minimum, depending on your view. Human civilization, there you are, everyone dying at about 70, going through the same incremental collapse that you can recognize a guy writing in 1000 BC, it is now 2016, 3,000 years old, this description. And people are still doing it. And we're still not used to it. We still don't find in this truth. We're supposed to remember our Creator. He did not make a mistake. It's not a design flaw. It's a feature. Now, this is the question. You say, well, but it's taken all the fun out of life. That's the description, basically. All the fun. Desire, sleep, not being wobbly on your legs, being able to chew your food. All of those are valuable commodities. So guess what? I guess it means that you don't just need to have God being a party prep person for you, where he features in like an Epicurean sense all your pleasures. Here, have this pleasure and that pleasure and this pleasure. Eat all this food, have all that money, have all this sex. It looks like you're going to need some understanding. In order to reap your desires the way you should throughout your whole life, you need to understand what God has done and what God in his creation as features has put into us. Besides, being wise, verse 9, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. 
weighing and studying and arranging Proverbs with great care. Think of those words that he just described that with. He taught the people. He weighed what he was saying as valuing. What's that? What kind of rem- have you ever looked at Facebook? I forgive you if you didn't. Most of the encouraging quotations, you want to reach through the screen and punch that person in the throat. In the most Christian way possible. Say, weigh that. I know it was said by the Dalai Lama. I know Mother Teresa said that. I don't care if Martin Luther King Jr. said it. That is so poor. Think before you post. Weigh it. You can look through the Proverbs and not come across stupid. You can look through the book of Ecclesiastes and not come across stupid. You're going to come across things you don't like. Studying. Arranging. With great care. This was something that the wisest man on earth, Solomon, thought about doing, valuing, measuring up. What's the, what's the better proverb than this? What is better than that? How will I put them together? How will I teach them to people? So why? The sayings of the wise are like goads. Well, I didn't read verse 10. The preacher sought to find pleasing words. And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. That poetry about your old age, I won't be here when you get there. Okay, I'm going to be dead. I'll be busy being dead. But you'll come back to that and go, yeah, that wise man. And it's beautiful. Just like the light to the eyes, describing these things, describing the pains we go through, is also a pleasing thing. A sweet thing. And he wanted to have you feel it as a sweetness, the way it came at you off the page. But then he says, the sayings of the wise are like goads. You know what a goad is? An ox goad. You know what a, when Paul quotes Aeschylus before Agrippa, he says, it hurts you to kick against the goads. It's a... Some, usually in primitive cultures is a sharp stick that you follow along after your cattle of whatever kind and you make annoy them in their back legs so they keep walking. And some animals kick against the goads. And that was an, Im, uh, an image, a cliche for resisting the gods. The gods are trying to push you a certain way and it hurts you to kick against the goads. Don't do it. The sayings of the wise are like goads. They are pushing you along a path. We've just finished, uh, if you'd read the whole of Ecclesiastes before this, you would have been at the very end, the last two paragraphs of the book. And he wants you to know something about it. It's a prompt. That's what a goad is. It, it prompts you. Now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to prompt you to more than perhaps you're doing. I, this great image, we're just starting out in Charles Williams' Place of the Lion, and one of the characters, Anthony, 
is speaking to his friend Quentin. They're arguing over something on a long walk. And, and Anthony argues that it would be great to have people have to make a map of their own thoughts every five years. You know, large concepts as large towns, roads between the thoughts. It's a great image. So I've been thinking about it, and I think this is what we've got here. It's not used as an image. They're like goads, and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings which are given by one shepherd. It has a canon. It has a collection of kind. One shepherd. The point being one shepherd. Not just so that you could have more room on your bookshelves for, you know, knickknacks. I just have the teachings of Chairman Mao, or I just have the sayings of something or the other, and now I have all this room for my little figurines. It's not that sort of thing. It's that your thoughts shouldn't be the collection of contrary things. You should know where your thoughts, how your thoughts lay out and how they connect. The phrase being, do you make any sense whatsoever? Think about the map of your thoughts. You have thoughts. Is it mappable? Is it so ephemeral that you couldn't, you would know which end was up? You don't even know where north is on the map. Is that the nature of your thinking, so postmodern that nothing is concrete and nothing is, you just think anytime you run something through your brain, it's reasoning. Consider this. And when you consider your mapping, consider, and I'm not really recommending that you draw a map out, but consider the projection. You know how you talk about maps, what kind of, it's a Mercator projection or a, um, I don't know, what are the other kinds of projections of international things? Scale. What is the map being used for? I, I always love having maps. I hate being told by some phone to turn left in a quarter mile. I want to know there's a turn in a quarter mile by looking at a map and deciding to turn in a quarter mile because that's the best way to get there because I'm a human being, not a slave. I've got I to go to California in November with my lovely wife. We're flying one way. We're renting a car so she can bring some of her mother's stuff back to Idaho and then we're driving back and I'm going to get myself a Rand McNally map because the car will probably come or Leslie's tablet has something like telling you how to get places. But I remember the shape of the United States. I don't know if the rest of you do. But and there are interstate systems and interchanges and they're on a map. I have an intention. I know where I'm going. Consider that. Do you? He's encouraging you to be prompted and to consider tightening up what it is you think is wise. The collected sayings by one shepherd. Nails firmly fixed. You know what's true. You went around and tacked that all down. And then he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. It's stabilization. Remember, you can't understand having a good time until you please God. He gives you wisdom, knowledge, and joy. You can't just go, 
I want to please God so he'll give me my joys. He'll give me enough money and a, and a good looking girlfriend and what else do I need? You know, going out to dinner regularly. French fries. He wants you to understand. And he wants you to understand in a wise way. And he warns you to beware of most Christians I know have not read their Bibles. Two, you say, is he saying that about, I'm sure you have, you're the best people. Let alone read Ecclesiastes. Or if they have read Ecclesiastes, did not like it a whole lot. Thought it was a very dark book. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, suggests that you should beware of anything past Ecclesiastes. He said, beware of anything beyond the collected sayings of one shepherd. I think he's talking about the collected sayings of himself. So why have you gone beyond Solomon? Oh, I'm not suggesting you may not go. Beware if you do. Because in vanity, truth. In recognizing the nature of things and our God, remembering our Creator, and remembering his law because pleasing him gains me wisdom, knowledge, and joy and I'm here to enjoy myself. What is the chief end of man? To have a good time. I know it doesn't say that in the Westminster Confession of Faith because God says what is the chief end of man? There's nothing better for a man to do than eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. That's what God says is the chief end of man. Eat, Drink, eat french fries, drink whatever you want, and enjoy yourself. But you can't do that without knowing what's up. Because all the joys are made by the God who made what's up. And when he says, beware of anything past, what is the, what is the warning that you, as you step out there into the realm of thinking, one of the reasons we like to have discussions at Pipe Night is because we don't assume that C.S. Lewis, peace be upon him, is right. I like C.S. Lewis a lot. I like Charles Williams a lot. But I don't presume they're right. And far better to have everybody discussing whether or not they're right. So that as you add their sayings to the collected sayings of Solomon, you have shown that you were bewaring. You were going, you know, watch this. If I start reading that guy, does that fit in with this? How's this work? I have some verses here on the side. I'm not going to spend much time with them, but just to tell you that the Bible is regularly concerned about this. Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. There's a lot of people who can sell themselves to you as wise people. We know what's going on. And really, they're big fools. So, if you're not bewaring, if that's a word, if you're not bewaring, you're uh, setting yourself up. Colossians 2, 48. I say this in order that no one may delude you with beguiling speech. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. A little bit later it says, See to it that no one makes prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, not according to Christ. James was telling me at the, before church out on the porch of a friend of his who runs his life by cards he picks from a deck and the image is on the card. The kind of person that would object to believing the Bible written by mere men and he pulls a card from a deck and if it has a frog on it, I don't know what the frog meant. Uh, the frog meant something. And you let, or people who crack open their fortune cookie and live by it. Human traditions, empty deceit, elemental spirits. James 3, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The Lord seems to think that wisdom comes along with goodness, that wisdom does not make someone good, but they're not truly wise unless they're good. Who is wise? Let him show his good life in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. I need to beware. There are people who say they're wise. There are people who have philosophies worked up claiming to be wise. There are people, even in the church, because this is talking about Christian teachers, that you should be measuring by the meekness of their wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and a reviled practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without unsincerity and uncertainty and insincerity. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's selling the same product that Solomon is in Ecclesiastes, which is you're going to have a good time. You're going to be at peace. You're going to be godly. And you're going to know why. Because you have no, you're picking your teachers, your, 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 the things you read, because you want to have your thoughts start to come together in a cohesive, nails fixed down, one shepherd. As closely identifying, you have to imagine my joy when, when uh, having become a futilitarian many years ago, and I was reading through Lewis's essays, and one is called De Futilitate. I went, oh, thank you, Jesus. Solomon on one hand, C.S. Lewis on the other, St. Paul, if I had a third hand, on another. All is futility. This is the end of the matter, verse 13. Oh, of making... <laughs> when he says, beware of anything beyond these, this next phrase is a warning. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. So be aware that just because you're studying and reading a lot of books does not make you smarter. If you are not making the road map out, if you're not staying close to the teaching of one shepherd, if you don't know what you're doing, being a smarty pants, getting a degree in something that says, they read a lot of books. We know they're there, but beware of anything beyond these. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Oh, that's refreshing. The end of this book of, you know, really hard going and through Ecclesiastes of all sorts of things. 
He gets down to business and said, okay, fear God. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Okay, that's a breath of fresh air. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. I thought you said earlier that the chief end of man was a different thing between your duty the end of what you're supposed to be doing it's not the sum of what you're doing that you that we are given a task to obey God he is going to give us in that obedience wisdom knowledge and joy which we're supposed to collect on one hand I'm supposed to enjoy but I am supposed to what I give to it I, I can't give myself enjoyment I was trying to think of inventing a back scratcher that was perfect. That like was a big like hairbrush on the wall. Wouldn't that be nice? Really sharp, like plastic sticks, and you go up to it like a bear. Don't have to bother the wife anymore about scratching your back. It'd be kind of gross after a few days, but we can't really measure out to ourselves the enjoyments that are present in life. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's your duty. He'll supply the wisdom, the knowledge, and the joy. For God will bring every deed into judgment. This is a reminder. We talked about this a few weeks ago. With every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now I put the word good, bold, and in red. Because when everybody, someone talks about the judgment, what are they talking about? Your sins. Today I want you to think about your righteousness. Because you will be judged. God's given you the task of, what is it? Light is sweet. Enjoy. Take vexation away. And live in the, put away pain from your body. Enjoy yourself. For heaven's sake, God is going to be judging you for every good thing you did. You don't ever think of it that way, do you? God is going to judge me for every evil thing that I did. Well, that too... That's the last word in the book. But there was a word too before that that was good. He will, whether it's good or evil, God is stepping into you going, did you like that? And you go, yeah, I really liked that. That was a great life. Thank you very much. He says, well done. He judges you for your goodness. He measures that out. You, you know, didn't just, you say, Everything, if I'm a futilitarian, now with this vanity, everything's slipping away. I can't hold on to this pleasure more than a nanosecond. Boom, it's gone. You can know that on the last day, you'll walk up with that smile, that silly smile on your face because you obeyed God, He made you wise, and you enjoyed life. And there's going to be a silly smile, and He's going to say, I liked that. And His pleasure on you. The well done from God. All that may have been vain, but God's smiling on you someday for what you did in it is a great get. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Pull us to your goodness. Guide us in your wisdom and knowledge. Reward us in the pleasures that you've given us in this life. Help us understand them. In your son's name, amen.